This is my Bible. It is the Word of God, and it is the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am, seated right now in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in the place of authority, <clears throat> dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do <clears throat> what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. So I'm taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. Give five people a high five and then you may be seated this evening. My topic this week is mastering money. Either money will master you or you will master money. What did God say to Cain before he murdered his younger brother over money, over the fact that Abel gave God his first fruits and Cain gave God some of the fruit of his labor? This is Genesis 4, 6, and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, say it out loud. If you do what is right, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, it desires to have you, but you must master it. And so we mentioned, I think it was Sunday evening, the, the very first murder took place over money. The very first murder took place over able giving first fruits. Either money will master you or you will master your money. When I did Mastering Money in 2018, it had been many years since I had done any special services at Faith Christian Center on finances. In teaching Mastering Money the past four years, I have been overwhelmed at what the disobedience of Christians has cost Christ. I've always looked at it from the perspective of what disobedience was costing God's people. But every night, the last four years standing here, I've been overwhelmed at what the disobedience of God's people has cost Christ because Jesus died for mankind, but his people have disobeyed him on money and millions are going to hell for it unnecessarily when the system has literally been designed to cost the believer nothing. The past four years, I found myself overwhelmed with grief for Christ every night. And I think it's obvious we lost our country. I hope we at Faith Christian Center can see the truth now and go on. Tell your neighbor, we're going on. God's system of sowing and reaping was literally designed to cost the believer nothing. God's plan for Christian economics was literally designed to cost the believer nothing. God's plan for world evangelism was literally designed to cost the believer nothing. God's plan to establish his covenant on the earth was literally designed to cost the believer nothing. In our 2006 month of money, we taught it this way, make the money, tie the money, save and invest the money, and then 
sow the money. And when you get done doing all that, go back and make the money. So we're continuing this series, Mastering Money, so you can come up out of debt, so you can become well off, that you can break the spirit of poverty in your life and begin to believe God for bigger and better things. And instead of allowing money to master you, you can learn how to master money by tying on to what, it, what is closest to God's heart, and that is God's mission and God's house and God's work. The reason so many Christians are mastered by money instead of mastering money is they never saw themselves as engines in the work of God. They never saw themselves as paymasters for God's work and God's mission and God's house. Now, we've been saying this week that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. That's where we began Sunday night, Monday night. And last evening, we were in Matthew 25, and we were talking about stewardship. I mean, that's an old school term, stewardship. God expects you to be a good steward of what he has already given you, and God expects you to honor him with what he has already given you. Let's go back. We're not going to review, but just read the passage from last evening, Matthew 25, 14, to give us perspective, and then we're going to go on. Matthew 25, 14, again, it, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. So it's not the servant's property, it's the master's property. To one he gave five talents of money, it specifically says, of money to another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And I pointed out that if we took the words of Jesus literally, we would all be working on our ability, our ability to be good managers, good rulers, and good stewards. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once, shout it out loud, went at once. So the modern apostasy is it doesn't matter what you do, but when we actually study the Bible, when we actually look at the words of Jesus, it not only matters what you do, but it matters how fast you do it. Amen. He went at once. Now, you think Jesus was just bloviating? I mean, was he just talking because he would like to hear himself talk? Or do you think the King of kings and the Lord of lords spoke with absolute accuracy and precision? He went at once and put his, that is the master's money to work and gain five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But it does not say the one who gained two talents went at once. But he did manage to gain two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. We talked about how that a lot of Christians spend their whole lives hiding the master's money because ownership is an illusion. You know, we think we own these cars. <laughs> we drive them till they have so many miles on them, then we trade them. We think we own a house, but you know, when you die, you can't take your house with you. So we're not owners, we're stewards. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So it seems like a long time. You know, whenever I talk about the coming of the Lord, people can razz me a little bit and say, yeah, 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 you know, that's, that was the big trend in the 70s. Well, it may seem like a long time, but he's coming and he's going to settle accounts. 
The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you trusted me. You entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to also notice that even though the one man got 100% return and gave his master five talents back, and the second guy gave the master an additional two talents, he still had 100% return, and he got the same commendation. Well done, and, and he, didn't, he didn't go quickly. So you might be a late bloomer, but if you'll just get started and get with it, you'll get the same commendation, amen? You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. And that's fascinating because we saw that same word on Sunday night, afraid. You know, you cannot operate in life in fear. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, and these words fell from the lips of the Savior. You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money. Whose money was it? The master's money, you should have put my money on deposit with a banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we're going to go in a different direction this evening, but as I was pondering the passage we're about to go to, I thought, well, we need perspective because of these three adjectives, wicked, lazy, and worthless. Tell your neighbor, I do not want to hear those words applied to me when the Lord settles accounts. Can we be in agreement on that? Amen. And even though... It's maybe raining a little bit outside. It's okay to say amen inside. Amen. amen. So God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people, yes, but God expects you to be a good steward of what he has already given to you, and God expects you to honor him with what he has already given to you. Now let's go to the Old Testament and see the same principle in the Old Testament. And let us go to 1 Samuel chapter 9. The sad story of King Saul in 1 Samuel is a lesson for every Christian. God can call you. God can change you into a different person. God can anoint you. God can give you position and wealth. But if you do not do what God says do, your life will end in ruin. Obedience is the key to everything. Say it out loud. Obedience, Obedience. is the key to everything. Say it again. Say it again, obedience, obedience is the key to everything. Now, I know this is old school, but I'm telling you, it works. The word works. 
I said the word works. And I don't know about you, but, you know, if I'm going to try a diet, I might go by somebody's theory, idea, or opinion. If I'm going to go do something as superfluous as buy a car, I might go by an online review. But when it comes to my eternal soul, I'm not going to go by somebody's theory, idea, or opinion. I'm just not going to do it. You know, there are certain things like marriage. I'm not going to put myself at risk on marriage. Child rearing, I'm not going to put myself at risk on child rearing. Do you understand? Certain things, I'm just not willing to put myself at risk in those areas. And one of them is my eternal soul. I'm not going to go by theories, ideas, or opinions. All right, if you're taking notes, number one, God called Saul. 1 Samuel 9, 17, when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. So was this Samuel's bright idea? Talk to me. Was this Samuel's bright idea? No. No, number one, God called Saul. So it was God who called Saul. It wasn't Samuel's bright idea. Number two, God changed Saul into a different person. Now, why am I rehearsing this? Because we like to think that maybe he did not have every advantage, but he had every advantage under that covenant, and guess what? You have every advantage under this covenant. Samuel said to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person, And it came to pass, verses 9 to 11, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day when they arrived at Gibeah. A procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? is Saul also among the prophets. So God changed Saul into a different person. Verse 9 says that God changed Saul's heart. Now we know he was not made a new creation in Christ because that was not possible at that point in time because Jesus had not come. The death, burial, and resurrection had not yet occurred. But under that covenant... In those circumstances, God changed Saul's heart. And then the word of God says in verse 10, the spirit of God came upon him in power. Number three, God anointed Saul. God anointed Saul through Samuel. Chapter 10, verse one. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? And so God anointed Saul. Number four, God gave Saul position and wealth. I I want you to see that here is a man that under that covenant had every privilege, every opportunity, and God gave him every possible reason to advance in life. We won't take time to read the story, but in 1 Samuel 11, Saul rescues the city of Jabesh 
The people had been ambivalent about Saul as a leader, but when God gave Saul a mighty victory in 1 Samuel chapter 11, Saul became an instant celebrity. 1 Samuel 11, verses 14 and 15, then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go up to Gilgal and there reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. So God gave Saul position and wealth because along with kingship went great wealth. Number five, but because Saul did not do what God commanded him to do, his life ended in ruin. But because Saul did not do what God commanded him to do, his life ended in ruin. And Sunday night and Monday night and now tonight, we see that word several times so far this week in the week of increase, afraid. We're going to see it again. And I think that part of the reason people don't do what God says do in the written word of God and part of the reason God's people don't do what the Holy Spirit leads to them to do in prayer is fear. But listen, that's why we're doing this week of increase. I said last evening in Mark chapter 6, it's a fascinating passage the Bible says that when Jesus was ministering in his hometown, he could not do any mighty miracle there. All he could do is lay his hands on a few sick people. One translation says minor ailments and heal them. And the Bible says, depending on the translation, he was amazed at their lack of faith. I mean, think about it. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God in person and he could not do any mighty miracle there. We dealt with this, I think, a, a week or two back on a Sunday morning. And people don't think that you can limit God. You can absolutely limit God. We gave you the scripture. I think it was Psalm 78. <clears throat> David tells the whole story about how they tested God. They tempted God. And they limited. King James Version says they limited the Holy One of Israel. Somebody might say, well, that was Old Testament. You see the same thing in Mark 6. He could do no mighty miracle there, save lay his hands on a few sick folk with minor ailments and heal them. Then his solution was he went from village to village, town to town, teaching them the word of God. So the way that we get over these hurdles, whatever hurdle it is, healing, success, prosperity, whatever hurdle it is in life, is we renew our minds to the Word of God until we become thoroughly convinced that the Word of God is the will of God for our lives. We've already given you this week. The Old Testament version of this process is Joshua 1.8. The New Testament version of this process is Romans 12.2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. You see, before you were born again, all your mind had access to, knowledge-wise, was what you could see, touch, taste, see, or smell in all the days of your life, everything that you had experienced through those five 
sensory mechanisms. Then all of a sudden, you give your life to Christ and your spirit man is recreated and God brings into your life the Holy Spirit of God, quickening your spirit man, making your spirit man alive and new. Well, maybe you had read the Bible, but you had not read the Bible with a recreated spirit. Maybe you had read the Bible, but you read the Bible like you would read a magazine. Now you go back to the Word of God because now you have a recreated spirit. Now you have been made alive unto God and you read the exact same words, but what was blind to you before now leaps off the page because it is made alive by the Spirit of God. There's only one problem. There's only one problem. And that is if you got saved at age 20, you got 20 years of mental baggage. If you got saved at age 30, you got 30 years of mental baggage. If you got saved at age 40, you got 40 years of mental baggage. And then all the stuff that people do when they're lost. So you have got to do something. Do not let this book of the law, do not let this word of God depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Not what you agree with, so that you may be careful to do everything that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt make thy way successful. So we make our own way prosperous and we make our own way successful. Pastor, that's not the way the world does it. I know it. I know it. You have to give certain things up when you get born again and just make up your mind. I maybe achieve some success in the world, doing it the world's way, but now I'm going to shift gears because I've been born again, I've been saved, and now I'm going to start doing things God's way. We, we laid it out Sunday night. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So God has got a different way of thinking. God's got a different way of operating. And of course, of course, of course, I know what the problem is. It takes faith. That's why Jesus said, and verily answering, I say unto you, have faith in God. Because nothing's going to happen till you have faith in God. We go to John 1, we find out in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when Jesus says, have faith in God, what's he talking about? Have faith in the Word of God, because the Word of God is the Son of God. The Son of God is the Word of God. God is his Word. The Word is Father God. It's all the same thing. And Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. 
For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. So Joshua 1.8 is talking about a speaking faith. Isaiah 55 is talking about a speaking faith. Jesus in Mark 11.22 to 24 is talking about a speaking faith. But the thing about it is this, you're not gonna say it and you're not gonna do it until you have renewed your mind to what God says about your life, about healing, about success, about prosperity, about marriage, about child rearing, about money because there's a God way of doing things and there is an opinion of man way of doing things. Amen. And so God gave this man Saul every advantage but because Saul did not do what God commanded him to do, his life ended in ruin. Now modern apostates would tell us that the Old Testament has nothing to do with us. But writing about these Old Testament stories in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, the Apostle Paul wrote, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Over and over and over and over. It's really pitiful. I mean, it's really sad. In 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, over and over and over and over, the Bible talks about how that Solomon married all those foreign women and they led him astray. Now, we're not being racist, but the fact of the matter is that if you marry somebody from some other country and they have some other God, that's going to be a problem. You could marry somebody from your own clan, your own tribe, your own race, your own nationality, but if they have some other God, that's going to be a problem. How about David and Bathsheba? The Bible specifically says when spring came and kings go out to war, David stayed home. He got messed up. He was bored. He was a warrior. He should have been out, you know. His business wasn't making money. His business was war. He should have been out taking care of business. He wasn't. He was goofing off and saw this woman and sent for her. Why does the Bible tell these stories? The children of Israel, <laughs> you know? I mean, sometimes you read the Bible and you think, how could they be so stupid? But well, then all you gotta do is open up the news and read the news in 2022 and think, how could they be that stupid? God delivers them out of Egypt with all these mighty miracles. God gives them the bread of angels every morning, six days a week. They don't have water. Moses strikes the rock and fresh water comes out of a rock. They have their backs up against the Red Sea. The Red Sea's behind them. Pharaoh's coming up on the rear. 
and the man of God lifts his staff and God parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground. I mean, how many signs do you need? But they get over there to Horeb and the man of God goes up and fast 40 days to receive the, the law of God, the moral law of God. Well, 40 days. Six weeks, too long. So they give all their gold and, and Aaron, 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 makes a golden calf and they, they bow down and worship the golden calf and they dance before the golden calf and they say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Why are these stories in the Bible? If I would written the Bible, I would have hit a lot of it because I would have been so ashamed and embarrassed that that bunch that I called mine was doing this stuff. I might have hit a lot of it. Why does the Bible record this stuff? Because there are warnings, there are examples to us. Moses comes down, he's angry. <laughs> well, you know, a man of God ought not ever be angry. He was angry, man. He threw those tablets. He busted up the handiwork of God. And uh, he questions Aaron, and Aaron says, I don't know. We just threw the gold in the fire, and the calf jumped out. <laughs> See, in other words, there's nothing new under the sun. In other words, just fake it till you make it, just making it up as they go. And it was gold, it was gold, it was gold. But you know, Moses took that calf, ground it up, and made him drink it. So much for the gold. So why are these stories in the Bible? Oh, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't apply to us. Oh, we don't need to pay any attention to that. They're warnings. They're examples. They're warnings. This is what they did. This is how they wrecked their lives. This is how they ruined their lives. Don't do this stuff. And somebody might say, well, that was a different covenant. That's the Old Testament. Yeah, but it's the same God. And then also you have Hebrews 3 and 4 which is a commentary on Numbers 13 and 14. So we learn a lot about how to interpret the Old Testament and how to look at these accounts and stories from the Old Testament, how to handle them and how to look at them and how to view them in Hebrews 3 and 4. You go to a lot of seminaries and they say, you know, don't moralize. Don't make moral points out of the Old Testament. Well, that's funny because that's exactly what probably it was the Apostle Paul dictating to the physician Luke in Hebrews 3 and 4 did talking about Numbers 13 and 14. It was what they like to call moralizing. Don't do that. Don't, don't let sin and unbelief and disobedience run your life. Amen. And in that passage, the writer of Hebrews says, there remains a Sabbath rest of God. That's what I'm trying to lead you into in these weeks of increase. I'm trying to lead you into the fat place. I'm trying to lead you into the Sabbath rest. I'm doing my best to talk you into it. But see, you've got to be persuaded in your own spirit, man, and you've got to be persuaded in your own mind 
that this is the will of God for my life. Not that I be subject to the banks and subject to the world system and, and uh, a pinball in their machine, but that I have enough and I have more than enough and I'm able to live the way I want, drive what I want, and go where I want, vacation where I want, and live in a safe neighborhood. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? So Paul wrote, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then in verse 11 and, verses 11 and 12, he writes on, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So we study the Old Testament to search for principles, not rules or laws. We study the Old Testament to look for principles. And whether we're dealing with the Old Testament or the New Testament or with this covenant or with that covenant, we're dealing with the same Father God because in Malachi 3.6, he said of himself, I am the Lord and I change not. And I'm saying this evening that because Saul did not do what God commanded him to do, his life ended in ruin. In 1 Samuel 12, Samuel retires and gives his farewell speech, and Saul's first act of disobedience is in the very next chapter, in chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13, verse 5, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. 3,000 charioteers in those ancient days was a huge military force. Picture them, 3,000 charioteers. And soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Wow. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with, what's that next word? They were quaking with fear. Look, no good decision is going to be made in fear. No good decision is going to be made when you are afraid. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. He had been anointed king. He was not a priest. He was not authorized to make a burnt offering unto the Lord, a sacrifice. He was not a priest. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Listen, if it doesn't matter what you do, why would Samuel say, what have you done? Talk to me. If it doesn't matter what we do, why would Samuel say, what have you done? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. In other words, Saul didn't follow instructions. And that's the, that's the issue. God's people just have a problem following instructions. And this generation is going to be judged harshly 
because I've been doing this now 50 years in one month and the exact same people, 49 years in one month, the exact same people that have chased, chafed at God's instructions on how to handle money and how to be a good steward and how to give God the first fruit and how to honor God with their first fruit, how to honor God with their money. They followed everything Fauci and Burke said. It's horrific. It is horrific. And now these bozos in their Senate testimony, they say, well, we hoped the vaccine would work. Now they admit there was never any chance of them stopping the uh, infection. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. But it's not unbelievable because just three Sundays ago, a preacher stood up and said, forget everything I ever taught. I declare to you without apology, whatever faults I have, at least I know what I'm talking about. My goodness. Get health advice from somebody who changes their story. When that man stood up and said, forget everything I ever said, if the congregation had been intelligent, they would have all left. The very fact that anybody still there tells you what he's dealing with. And I remember my daddy, Dr. Frederick K.C. Price used to say, who's the bigger fool, the fool or the fool following the fool? If it doesn't matter what we do, why would Samuel say you acted foolishly? But it gets worse. Verse 13, if you had, he would have, you have not kept the command of the Lord, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. In other words, Saul, you didn't follow instructions. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And see, the thing is, I've been doing this long enough now. I've seen it over and 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 over. Somebody balks. Somebody says, I'm out of here. Somebody says, I've had it. Somebody says, you know, I'm quitting. And the Lord just raises up somebody else. Amen. It's almost like God taps somebody on, on the shoulder and makes them a millionaire, then makes them a millionaire two and three and four and five times over. It doesn't, you understand, the, the kingdom of God is not going to stop because you stopped. Amen. The kingdom of God is not going to stop because you had a fit. Amen. The kingdom of God is not going to stop because you got offended. God is bigger than that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And really, sir, 
I'm very grateful because it wasn't until this very moment I realized that's part of why you bless me the way you bless me because of people quitting and leaving. I was one that believed you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, think about it. Instead of us preaching sermons about David, we'd be preaching sermons about Saul. He gave up his place. I realize nobody thinks about us. But imagine. I remember that breakfast we went to in 1985 when we were going to buy three and a quarter acres up on I-30. I mean, it was lunch money, $160,000. We talked the seller into carrying a $40,000 second subordinated note. So we went to the bank with $40,000 equity in effect. And the bank said, sure. But two of the guys that were, I guess you'd call them big givers in those days, we went to lunch and tried to smooth their feathers. I mean, they bailed. They bailed. And we bought the land and we built the building. And I used to think, I used to think, what would that be like? To drive past Cathedral of Praise at I-30 and Fielder Road and think, oh man, I bailed on that guy, but he did it. Well, forget about that. What, what, what do they think when they drive past this place? And you know, they don't think about us, but they're surely curious, so they've been online. Do you understand? You may be watching right now. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me into the green pastures. And he sets before me a feast in the presence of my enemies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we're not going to deal with Isaac this week, but God blessed Isaac to where the Philistines envied him. Look, your job in prosperity is not done until the Philistines envied you. And everybody's been too worried about, you know, well, what are the Philistines going to think? The Philistines just want your children so that they can sacrifice them to Molech and sacrifice them to the clot shot and then take them down to the drag queen show so they can put, uh, you know, dollar bills in the panties of the strippers. There's videos of this online. I'm not making any of this up. Right in Dallas, Texas. Well, this is the Bible Belt. No, it's not. I say it's about time we stop thinking about what the world thinks of us and we begin thinking about what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords thinks of us. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? Can I get a better amen? amen. We're not going to be judged by the world. Amen. We're going to be, we're going to have to settle accounts with the one that saved us, with the one that washed us. And the world did not go to the whipping post so you could be healed, and the world did not go to the cross so you could be saved. 
Why in the world are we concerned about what lost folk think? I mean, if he had done what God said do, we'd be talking about Saul. We wouldn't be talking about David. This Messiah would have descended from Saul, not David. Because Samuel says your kingdom would have been established forever. I mean, when people don't believe God, they give up their place. I've seen it over and over and over and over and over. 38 and a half years since we pioneered this church. I mean, good people. Good people, but what happens is fear gets a hold of their heart. And when you make a decision in fear, you're going to make a bad decision. They give up their place. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord, the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him. I mean, I mean, I'm telling you, the dew has not even dried. The dust has not even settled, and God is picking somebody else. This is on my mind all the time. Every morning I'm out there. You don't have to look any further. Here I am. I believe you. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. If it doesn't matter what we do, why would Samuel talk like that? So God's criteria was this and only this. So are you going to do what I tell you to do or not? That's it. That's all. Are you going to do what I tell you to do or not? That's it. And in 1 Samuel 15, we see Saul's second act of disobedience and the real lesson for this evening. 1 Samuel 15, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Now, I know woke, progressive, sensitive, effeminate preachers have trouble with this. I don't. If God wanted him dead, that's his business. And if you think God's too sensitive to do something like that, then why does he have a place called hell? And Jesus talked about hell three times as often as he talked about heaven. Do not spare them, put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. These were the instructions of the Lord. Like it or lump it, but that's what God wanted. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Talaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek, and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, you want to see the mercy of God? 
Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So right there you have an example of the justice of God and the mercy of God. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people, he totally destroyed with the sword. In other words, he disobeyed God's instructions through the prophet Samuel, and he pounced on the plunder. Are you hearing me? He kept the plunder. He pounced on the plunder. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. They pounced on the plunder. They kept the best. This is why in 38 and one half years, we have never one time advertised for people to bring toys for the nursery. Because people would bring everything from home that was broken. Nope, I'll stand up, teach the word of God, and the money will come, and we will go buy brand new for the babies and the toddlers and the children of Faith Christian Center. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't bring God a blind sacrifice. You don't bring God a crippled dog. You don't bring God a broken uh, horse, a, a, a play horse. You don't bring God a broken toy. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. In other words, he disobeyed God's instructions through the prophet Samuel. These they were unwilling. These they were unwilling. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. They pounced on the plunder, and they kept the best for themselves. Notice that again, listen. You have got to be as mindful of God's house as your house. Maybe that's a problem because I don't go visit houses anymore, but I've heard some interesting stories. You know, I've heard some interesting stories about people having a bridal shower, a baby shower, and, you know, they know people are coming, but they don't, they don't pull the weeds out of the shrub bed. They don't cut the grass. They don't pick the toys up out of the yard. Maybe that's a problem. Look, look, last night and tonight, we're talking about stewardship. If you don't take care of what God already gave you, why should God give you more? And then we have to take care of God's house. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Notice that again Saul disobeyed God's instructions through the prophet Samuel. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. My God, my God, my God, just in our lifetime, just in the time of our marriage, how many ministers has God said, 
I am grieved that I called them. I am grieved that I blessed them. I am grieved that I gave them the success I gave them because they turned away from the word of God and they did not follow my instructions. When we pioneered this church, the three biggest full gospel church in the county, in the entire Metroplex, they have not just been diminished, they are gone. Unbelievable. Just in our 38 and a half years here, what we have seen with our eyes. And there's old Pastor Gene, you know, not very gifted, not very talented, not even that greatest speaker, but I'm still standing, hallelujah, and I'm still preaching the word of the living God, hallelujah, and we ain't got no debt. Hallelujah. hallelujah. It's the word that works, not my theory, my idea, my opinion. It's the word that works, the word of our beautiful, wonderful, heavenly Father. I can hear him right now. Kenneth Hagin, you know, the one that passed away 19 years ago, just stay with the word. The word, the word, the word, just stay with the word. And there it is, verse 11. I am grieved that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. So God's criteria was this and only this, Saul, are you going to do what I tell you to do or not? That's it, that's all. Are you going to do what I tell you to do? Now Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But there he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. Who does that sound like? There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. Saul did what? It's grievous. Our job as ministers and preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not ever to say, look at me. Our job is to say, look at him, the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. Our job is not to make us famous. Our job is to make him famous. Early in the, there he has gone to, there he has set up a monument in his own honor and turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. What does the word say? In James chapter two, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Tell your neighbor, the dude was delusional. 
Tell the neighbor on the other side, the dude was delusional. And that's where people are. That's why years ago I said, I don't ever want to hear I'm a friend of God sung in this church again. I'm a friend of God. And you know, every disobedient person singing I'm a friend of God. No, you're not. And the guy that wrote it, he ain't no friend of God. No one comes to us in all these years and says, Pastor, don't ask me to do this or that because, Pastor, I'm unfaithful. I've never heard at one time in 49 years and one month of preaching the gospel, Pastor, don't ask me to do that because, you know, Pastor, I'm unfaithful. I'll let you down. You'll tell me to zig and I'll zag. You'll tell me the way you want it done, and I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't be faithful. I'm going to do my own damn thing. I've never heard it one time. People think they're faithful even when they're not faithful. They do that with infidelity. Well, you know, my foot slipped. I don't think that was your foot. The word faithful means an exact copy of the original. Faithful means doing the task the way you were instructed to do the task. You know, I got an invoice and email today, and I texted the guy with that company. I said, you know, that work's not done. Yeah, but it's been a while since we started, so we need to settle up. I said, no, 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 no. We pay when the work's done. The work's not done. Yeah, but it's, it's been on the books a while. That's not my problem. You're the one that quit. You walked off the job. That's your problem. That's not my problem. I want it done the way I want it done. You know, I want the grass cut at so many inches. I want the sidewalk edged. I've got a concrete walking path where I pray every day, you know, every time anybody bids it. Surely you don't want that edged every week. Absolutely. I want it done the way I want it done. I want the trees trimmed the way I want them trimmed. I want it done the way I want it done. Because when it comes to me and my stuff, I'm in charge. And if I'm the one parting with the money, I want it done the way I want it done. You understand? And I'm just a man. Imagine how God feels about things. You've heard me tell the story a thousand times. February of 1997, the Lord challenged me to put the roof on Bud Sickler's church. We thought it was, he said it was $500,000, $500,000. God said it was $500,000. I said $500,000. And uh, when the Lord spoke to me to do that, we had about $170,000 on hand, so I had to raise it to send it. The Lord said, you don't think you can do it, but I'm telling you, you can. So I headed out. And by the way, sir, it's been one heck of a ride. The journey of faith in God, what a ride. 
So this is before cell phones, December of 1999. I'm in, I just happened to be in the office. Phone rings, it's Bud Sickler. Hey, partner. You know, whenever Marilyn Hickey would call me and say, hey, partner, I thought, oh, what does she want? This is going to cost. <laughs> and when Bud Sickler would call and say, hey, partner, I thought, all right, here we go. And he said, you know, we, we thought we could get the steel out of South Africa duty-free for the roof, but Kenya's in a recession, so there's no way they would not allow that steel to come out of South Africa into Kenya and without duty, so we needed another $100,000. I said, well, Bud, let me, let me think that over. I'll get back to you. And I hung up the phone, and I said, now, Father, I said, he said a half million dollars, and you said a half million dollars, and I agreed to a half million dollars. I said, it's a half a million dollars. And the Lord spoke to me immediately, and he said, what kind of a partner are you? Are you the kind of partner that goes partway down the road and then punks out? He said, to do what I have put in your heart to do, you are going to need partners who will stand with you until the last building is built and the last bill is paid. And here it is, the principle to live by. He said, before you can have that, you must first be that. And then he said to me, I'll give you the Sunday to raise the offering and I'll tell you how to do it. And I just, sat, I just stood there in my office in silence, and I saw it. A lot of times, it's not verbal, I see it. And I saw me standing there on anniversary Sunday in the year 2000, and I saw myself do what they had done at Bethesda Missionary Temple, but I had never done. I saw myself calling for people to give, you know, 10,000, 5,000, 2,500, whatever the numbers were. And I saw it. And he told me, he said, if you will do what I'm telling you to do, you'll have the money when you go to lunch. And so I picked up the phone. I called Bud right back. That was before cell phones. You got to dial all those numbers. I called Bud right back. I said, Bud, because I was going to be there in two weeks anyway to do a camp meeting for him. I said, Bud, I'll be there on that day. And when I come, I'll have the money. Amen. So I put my word on top of God's word Amen. to the man of God because that was the confidence I was operating in 22 years ago. And so that Sunday came, and it was a little different because of what God had said to me. So I had the people in the office, they were there, and we counted them. Okay, you know, so many people at 10,000. And because I knew my crowd, I knew I had to get two-thirds of the money at 9 o'clock. I knew that. I got to have two-thirds at 9 o'clock because at 11 o'clock, it's only going to be good for maybe a third of it. And so, you know, we're counting the 10,000s and the 5,000s and the 7,500s and the 2,500s, and uh, the office people are making a note of all of this, and uh, we receive this special offering, and then we do the exact same thing in the next service. And when we went to lunch, when I took Austin, uh, uh, Sue and Austin and Christina to lunch, we had the $100,000. The very next Sunday, 
the very next Sunday. Early in the morning, the phone rings. And we, we had missionaries there helping them. We paid, we paid their way. They were there helping them. And the phone rings, and it was that, that guy. And as soon as I heard his voice, I knew. He said, Pastor. He said, Bud Sickler went to be with the Lord this morning. Now, how could I live with myself these 22 years if I had been a punk? If I had, I mean, that church still wouldn't be built. I guess that steel would still be in South Africa. I don't know. And somebody might say, you just described a whole bunch of risk. I don't see it that way. Because I have walked with him long enough that he is my wonderful, my beautiful, my glorious, my magnificent heavenly father has never failed me not one time. Now he's come a little late, you know, to my liking, he's come a little late a few times, but he has never not showed up he has done everything that he has ever told me he would do. And that, that $600,000, we didn't know it. We didn't know it. We didn't know it. That was the seed. So then I go to the dedication. We, I preached that camp meeting January of 2000. We buried him. Austin was with me. Weren't you with me? Was that you or your mom? They kept having to spray the casket with Raid, you know, because there's no refrigeration, no embalming. It's Africa. <laughs> but we went back. We went back. Palm Sunday, 2000, and we dedicated that building. It was done. It was done. Standing there right now. My God, my God, my God. What have God's people given up not following instructions but be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving your own self and I'm here to testify I know the devil hates it but I don't think he's here tonight I'm here to testify not only has my wonderful beautiful heavenly father replaced everything I put in his hands but he's multiplied it into his work and he's multiplied it back into our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And doing all this crazy stuff and doing what the Lord said do, he hasn't just multiplied us according to Deuteronomy 1, 11, a thousand times. He's multiplied us 10,555 times. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he's led us into a fat place. Amen. And my God is no respecter of persons. And what he's done for me, he'll do for you. And the way he's performed his word for me, he'll perform his word for you. And the way he's been good for his word for me, he's been good for you. He'll make his word good for you. Man, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Following instructions.
And the first thing we do is we follow the written instructions of the word of God. And then the next thing we do on top of that and after that is we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Now listen, I'm gonna quit because I'm doing a good job ending early. Somebody say, good job, pastor. Good job, pastor. But listen, John Osteen used to say that God will speak to you more often about money than anything else. And John Osteen used to say that it's easier to hear God on money than anything else. Now, I've meditated on that this week, and I think the reason is twofold. I think, first off, because we're handling money every day. We need money every day. It doesn't matter how much money you have come in today. We need money every day. You need groceries tomorrow. You're going to need gasoline tomorrow. You need money every day. We're handling money every day. But I think the second reason is because it is an opportunity that is non-fatal for us to exercise our faith and to stretch our faith. Do you see it? That when you, when you live a life and you can tell your stories, not my stories, when you live a life and you follow the written word of God and you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God and the Lord answers, you have your own stories to tell and you have been on your own faith journey. And then when the devil comes along with this rat-looking, little, itty-bitty, 80-year-old guy telling you that the world's going to end and you got to wear a mask and you got to wear two masks and you need a shot and you need two shots and you need three shots and you need four shots. And then like him, he, do, he did all of that. He did all of that. He did all that. Then he caught the bug. I ain't had the bug yet. And I haven't done a doggone thing except look to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you see it? When you're faced with a fear peddler, you don't fall for it because you have your own stories. You followed the written instructions of the Word of God and you followed the leading of the Holy Spirit of God and you're like, it's not the exact same thing as those mighty men of David. You know, we're not going to go into a bean field and kill 200 people and we're not going to kill 750 people with a jawbone of an ass and all of that stuff like, like Samson did, but... In our own way, even in modern times, we have tales to tell of the exploits we have done because we have believed 